0: It's go time.
1: Welcome to Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon, along with Heath Graham. And as we continue through this offseason, the uh, biggest signings, if you want to call them that, have been more in the coaching realm. Saskatchewan, Hamilton, Ottawa, Let's go to uh, Hamilton first off. We've got that shuffle that we referred to last week, where Orlando Steinauer now becomes the president of football operations. That puts Scott Milanovic in charge of the football team. He'll be the offensive coordinator as well. And of course, that means there's going to have to be something decided about their quarterbacking. We touched on it briefly. Let's get into it deeper. Taylor Powell was the guy that got most of the snaps in 2023 for the Tiger Cats and for a rookie that came in on May the 17th, literally walked off the bus and (laughs) walked into the camp and within was week seven that uh, he started because of injuries to other quarterbacks.
0: There's going to be some interesting activity in Hamilton with the quarterbacks in this offseason. High praise from Scott Milanovic who is a very much a quarterback's coach. He has mentored and, and developed some outstanding quarterbacks in the CFL. He seems very high on Taylor Powell. Powell did come in in a relief situation in a tough spot and settled in nicely, kept the Tiger Cats in that playoff hunt uh, throughout the season. So a lot to build on there. The other side of this coin with the quarterback situation in Hamilton is Bo Levi-Mitchell. He showed some frustration and made some comments after the playoff loss, so there is definitely some tension. He has admitted that he and Milanovic have butted heads in the past as well. The one interesting part of this whole equation is Taylor Powell didn't dress in that playoff game. It was Matthew Schiltz and Bo Levi Mitchell, so new coaching philosophy coming into play with Milanovic and a lot of moving parts in that quarterback situation.
1: Exactly. And getting back to that playoff loss in Montreal, the quote from Bo Levi Mitchell after the game was, if you're not playing your highest paid player on the team in a playoff game, I don't foresee myself probably being here. That certainly was a little bit of a shot back towards the team because he was clearly frustrated that he only saw 636 of the game came in in a very difficult situation Bo Mitchell, he is one of those types of people that he's at alpha. He is a guy that likes to be in charge. He likes to know what's going on and he wants to be the guy that you can reach out to and say, you're the guy, I need you going forward. He, He, at that moment, I'm sure was frustrated because maybe that role had been taken from him and not knowing what to make of it. And the anger, of course, of losing a football game compelled him a little bit to probably say something that maybe in hindsight he didn't want to, or maybe in hindsight he had to.
0: He's somebody that didn't shy away from his emotions and what he felt in that moment. It's hard to read between the lines here. Obviously, with a new head coach going in, there's going to be some change and some philosophies that he believes in. We know Orlando Steinhauer is still involved in the front office of the Tiger Cats, but this is now... Milanovic's team to run as the head coach, and although Bo Levi Mitchell has made some comments saying that he does want to be in Hamilton, he has also admitted that he has butted heads in the past with Scott Milanovic. The little bit of reading between the lines that I can see right now is Matthew Schiltz is probably not in this equation at all. Taylor Powell definitely will be, and it's a matter of how and where Bo Levi Mitchell fits in if he is still a marquee starter in this league. He needs to show that coming into camp if he's still around at that point in time. Or if they have some of these off-season discussions, they may look at Mitchell not being part of the equation and start looking at where else they can develop some more quarterbacks to back up Taylor Powell as he would likely then move into that number one role.
1: That's an interesting take on all of this. With Milanovic, you know that he prefers to have a guy that he can trust, that he has great communication lines with. And if you want to be fair to Milanovic, he is kind of a quarterback whisperer. I mean, you look at, I mean, you got Zach Kolaris, you got Trevor Harris. If he isn't sure, and this is the overriding thing that we need to also countenance, Bo Levi Mitchell's bonus check is coming due early as the end of January, if that is the case and Bo Levi Mitchell is sitting there waiting for an answer, that's where his answer may come. That's where they may take that decision. The only other thing that I could see happening, this is a very sort of theoretical thought that I've coming up with, is that what if they go to Bo and say, look, we need you on this team but we can't pay you what we agreed to initially. We want you to take a different role because you're going to be the backup to Taylor Powell.
0: That is something that will potentially be asked of him. And at that point, Mitchell needs to decide whether he wants to continue to be a football player or perhaps move on to the media side, which he's participated in a little bit over the last couple of years come playoff time. I, I don't know if there are going to be many other suitors that are going to be looking for his services at the price he's going to be asking for, if he still believes he's a starter in this league. And that's that's the big question. I also don't think that Bo by mitchell is the type of quarterback that is going to be satisfied bouncing from team to team one year here, one year there until he decides he's done. He liked the stability that he had for all those seasons in Calgary. He seemed to be pretty high on his decision to come to Hamilton last offseason and be their number one guy. Now we know some injuries came into play that didn't allow that to come to to fruition. I, I don't know where he's leaning. He's 33 years old right now. He'll be 34 at some point next season. That's not over the hill for a starting quarterback in the CFL by any means. It is getting to that point where you're looking at your last contract and and this is going to be decision time to see what the future holds and where his heart is as far as the football decisions.
1: Injuries have plagued him since 2019. And that has been the biggest hill that he's had to climb is getting back on the field. And it's often said the most important ability you have to have is availability. And he has not had that in the last couple of seasons. Whether that means that maybe his career is closing on a note that he didn't want, and I'm sure not many would have expected, or that there is an opportunity in Hamilton, but it has to be in a different way. Or the third thing is to look at, take that contract and move it to another team. Who, I don't know, would want to eat that contract, and that's the biggest problem Hamilton has. When you sign someone for big dollars and it may not be working out, you're in a tough spot.
0: And sometimes with quarterbacks, as they get into that mid-30s range, the decisions aren't necessarily theirs and, and those injuries do start to creep in. You've mentioned he has had some injuries over the last few seasons and you don't have to look very far back in the CFL. Michael Riley had some injury issues and decided to call it a career with the BC Lions. Matt Nichols was unable to fully recover from an arm injury with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He did give it another go the following year with Ottawa. Mitchell has had a shoulder or arm injury that has hampered his his throwing ability. At this point, you need to look at that factor of how much strength is left in that arm, how much durability is there. And it might not be a matter of what he wants to do, it might be a matter of what team is going to see him as a valuable asset as a quarterback.
1: You can look at Darian Durant, who got blown up in the banjo bowl game when the play should have been whistled dead and never was the same quarterback after that. You just don't know when those circumstances will avail themselves and, and how your body will respond. For Bolievi Mitchell, I'm sure the most frustrating point was that game against Ottawa, where he sent out to, for whatever reason, go forward from their two-yard line. And Jovan Santos-Knox comes over the top and inadvertently breaks his ankle and sets him back again in the 2023 season. If Mitchell doesn't get hurt on that play, what does the 2023 season become? It's a
0: question that we we can't answer. We can speculate, but unfortunately, we, we don't know the direction it would have gone. We hadn't seen a lot of Bolivar Mitchell in-game action to that point in the season either. It was his first came back from injury. Again, I think the jury is still out on how healthy he was all season and what his, his capabilities were. Now you're looking at a, another question mark. And I, I think we can agree on this. That it would not come as a surprise to either of us if that contract is terminated prior to his bonus being due early in 2024
1: there would probably still be some buyout capital that would have to be thrown in if the Tiger Cats wanted to move away from Mitchell because of that guarantee that you now get if you sign a two or more. For Taylor Powell, with that endorsement, it's got to be gratifying in a sense because you came out of nowhere and of the rookie quarterbacks, you could rate him one or two versus Trey Ford in Edmonton.
0: Down the road in Ottawa, new offensive coordinator Tommy Condell has thrown a lot of praise towards Dustin Crum, saying that he's a guy that wills things to happen. So it sounds like Condell is pretty high on on Crum at this point. What are your thoughts on his comments?
1: So many times when new coordinators come in, new head coaches come in, they won't make any sort of allowance to say, "Ah, uh, this is my guy we're going to go with him. And partly because they don't know the person. Dustin Crum, I don't know if it was his fault that the team went 4-14. and I really thought that there was a lack of creativity on offense. The defense was okay, but it wasn't Crum himself that made the uh, Red Blacks worse. With Tommy Condell, he's not a quarterback whisperer. He is a guy that likes offense and he likes to generate offense he's a more of a side-to-side attack guy but as we saw when dane evans had his career year in 2019 evans had the option to go down the field and he did it and hamilton scorched teams as a result
0: if i'm just going by the eye test as an observer i wasn't 100 percent sold on dustin crumb as a number one guy in the league. But you also have to consider he was a third or fourth option for Ottawa as a quarterback from, from the starting point of the season to when he was thrust into action. So the entire playbook and the entire offensive scheme for the Ottawa Redblacks was not drawn up for Dustin Crum. He had to come into a, a situation and work with what was in place. A new offensive coordinator in Tommy Condell comes in, and if he is high on Dustin Crumb being their starting quarterback, he's going to develop an offense around that player. So uh, same situation in Hamilton with with Taylor Powell. You've now got Scott Milanovic coming in. Powell was not the number one or number two option at the start for the Tiger Cats last season either. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch these new coordinators working with these young quarterbacks and designing play based to their strengths. One thing that Crum did really well was was the ability to scramble when given that opportunity. It's not something you want to rely on your quarterback doing, but I think there's going to be some plays drawn up that are going to give him some of that flexibility to take off with the ball and run and and build on some momentum he can get from there to become a better passer.
1: In that mix in Ottawa, you have Jeremiah Mazzoli, who again lost a season to an injury where there was no contact. This time it was an Achilles last time, he blew out his knee. But he does have a history with Tommy Condell, and that is significant. And here again, we may have a situation where the coordinator or coach might look at the veteran quarterback who's making the bigger dollar and say, look, can you work with us, coach him up, help us get him to a better place so that we can run more of the offense that we want to run. Mazzoli is a great guy for the room. Everywhere he's been, he's really a good leader. Given the injuries that he's had, does he think about maybe taking less of a role and if Mitchell may be asked the same thing in Hamilton, follow the same path? Likely, being the backup to a person that came in because of injury the year before.
0: That's a hard conversation, but a necessary conversation that's going to have to be had with Jeremiah Mazzoli. Given the types of injury and the length of recovery time he's had over the last couple of seasons, if I'm coming in as a new coordinator, I'd be very hesitant to try to build an offense with him as my number one guy that I have in mind. We saw very limited action over the last two seasons before he was gone for many, many weeks or, in the case this year, the entire remainder of the season. You can't rely on that. And I I know injury-prone is something that gets tossed around that isn't necessarily a fair assessment either, but a knee injury, an Achilles injury, are two that can be very nagging if not fully recovered from. Mazzoli would be a great mentor to these young quarterbacks. And, and I, I agree. I think that's a role they need to look at seriously. And a two-quarterback system isn't always the best option, but sometimes it's going to give that younger quarterback a chance to grow. Somebody like Bo Levi Mitchell or Jeremiah Mazzoli can act as a security blanket and somebody that can be thrown in even for a couple of series to give that young guy a chance to stand on the sideline watch a bit more play and, and get a feel for what's going on. I certainly wouldn't be writing in Jeremiah Mazzoli as my number one quarterback, unfortunately, and I, and I hate to see quarterbacks go out in these situations with these types of injuries. It's an, it's the nature of the business, and it's something that we've seen time and again, and unfortunately, it might be that, that time for Mazzoli.
1: Let's not forget that there's Tyree Adams a knee injury that knocked him out of the season. He showed well when he had the opportunity, a very different style of quarterback. So there are choices in red-black world. It's just a question of what does Condell see in those people and where does he want to go? And familiarity with Mazzoli is going to help in that regard. But the fact that he's satisfied with the play of Dustin Crum and believes he can do the job it bodes well. Now the question for Ottawa is can they get past everything and make it into the playoffs?
0: Second down.
1: Not to be forgotten out of this football season, the rare double was completed where the Montreal Alouettes won the Grey Cup and the following week the Montreal Carabins won the Vanier Cup. That's only happened once before, if you can believe it where Edmonton won the Grey Cup in 1980 and the Alberta Golden Bears, team based in Edmonton, won the Vanier Cup that same fall. Very, very rarefied air. The one thing that was the downside of the Vanier Cup, though, was that an average audience of about 126,000 watched the final. That's a huge drop from the previous year And it's even more staggering when you think that in 2019, 174,000 people watched the game. In four years, that's a staggering change. And there is some push. There has been discussion in the past. But is it time now for the Vanya Cup to be played in the city on the weekend of the Grey Cup?
0: I'm probably going to go back and forth on this one as we talk through it a little bit. One of the biggest challenges right now with the Vanier Cup scheduling is it's based on a university calendar as well. So the Grey Cup has moved a little bit earlier in the season. They're getting a little bit earlier start to the season. U-Sport football is already starting right before even university classes start. So they don't have a lot of room to go earlier. It's a matter of how do you restructure then the season or the playoffs to coincide with having it line up on Grey Cup weekend. I I do like the idea from a viewer's standpoint of having them both on the same weekend. I think it really builds excitement and interest and in Canadian football and can be a real celebratory event. My other side of this equation is the logistics for those Vanier Cup teams especially travel for families and that sort of thing if you've got a Grey Cup even take take a city like Regina for example it's not the largest city now all of a sudden you've got if they were to host a Grey Cup and a Vanier Cup on the same weekend you now have to look at accommodations for these teams and these family members that have only found out a couple weeks earlier that they're going to be traveling to that game Whereas people plan for the Grey Cup well in advance. There's already people that have booked hotel rooms in Vancouver for next year's Grey Cup game. It's an annual event that they go to. It's a, it's a tough one to kind of cram everything into one host city.
1: Hotels can be managed easily enough because if you know that the Vanier is coming, you just allot so many rooms. And you do that ahead of time just like any other major event, They, do, including the teams that come to the Grey Cup, they have to do the same thing. That I don't foresee as much of a problem. The scheduling is the biggest thing that they have to fight because the Grey Cup has moved a week earlier. That really impacts how the Vanier Cup would have to move to get on that same weekend. They've done it before. I don't think the Vanier Cup was swallowed up by the Grey Cup. Uh, 1973 in Toronto, 2007 in Toronto, 2011 in Vancouver, and 2012 in Toronto were the times that these games coincided. It won't happen until at least 2027 because already the host cities for the Vanier Cup have been announced. Regina, Quebec City, Kingston, not necessarily in that order, will be hosting the Vanier Cup. So that part of it, we know there's time. If you want to get the ratings up for the Vanier Cup, make it a Canadian football celebration, and have everybody under the same roof, Whether the Vanier Cup maybe is played on a Friday night. You've got everybody coming for the Grey Cup. You could figure out a way to have tickets for the Grey Cup and the Vanier Cup. You've got all of the media, all of the television crews there. Everybody is there. I know that it feels like the Vanny Cup is going to be the the little sister, but I don't think that's a problem because it's better to be on their coattails than to be off in the distance somewhere the following week and nobody's paying attention to you.
0: It will be the little sister at the same time. If you've got a ballpark of 30,000 people converging to go to the Grey Cup game, There will be a large percentage of those people that will not attend the Vanier Cup. They'll be wrapped up in Grey Cup celebrations, Grey Cup festivities, socials, parties, live music, everything else that comes with Grey Cup week. But even if you funnel off 10% that will now be going to the Vanier Cup on top of the other people that are already supporting the Vanier, it is going to increase attendance, increase revenue, For a TV viewer as well, it's an opportunity to take in both of those championship games on the same weekend. Viewership-wise, it would be a spike for the Vanier Cup as well. So there are certainly some challenges, some logistical issues. Growing that little bit is a big deal for U-sports and and for the the revenue and support that the Vanier Cup can get.
1: U-sports to me, especially football, well, you can name almost any sport in youth sports, to be honest, is undervalued, underappreciated, and clearly not in the forefront of the Canadian media. You cannot go on a Saturday afternoon to any of the major networks, other than maybe CBC, if they've got room for it, and find a game, whether it's basketball, volleyball, whether it's track, football, soccer. And that, to me, is a shame. U-Sport football is easily as exciting as NCAA. The only thing it lacks is 100,000 people at the game. Laval draws 20,000 per game. Saskatoon draws 10. They make enough noise. It's just that optically it looks a lot different because the production values for NCAA are through the roof because of the money involved. And unfortunately, U-Sport can't compete on that level. If... The Vanier and the Grey Cup are on the same weekend, then you get more buzz. And I think anytime you get people talking about you, it helps you in your marketing and your growth.
0: Third down.
1: Biggest signings so far have been in Montreal, where they have extended several players. We've mentioned Cody Fajardo, Darnell Sankey is now back, Mustafa Johnson is back. And their great cup hero, Tyson Philpott, has signed a contract extension. Sean Lemon, another one to add to that list of people that the Alouettes have signed. So they're already trying to shore up the shelves as we head into the winter. So let's go to the the British Columbia Lions, team that finished second in the West. Where are their biggest priorities in the offseason? Looking at the
0: roster and, and the list of free agents, I believe there's some necessities on defense that they need to get back. Namely, the linebacking duo of Josh Woods and Ben Hladek. Hladek being a national, Woods being an American, are, are two stalwarts on that defense that are worth investing in. As well as outstanding defensive player of the year, Matthew Betts. He's somebody else that they need to lock up. On the offensive side of the ball if healthy and fully recovered from his injury, Keon Hatcher is such an important part of that receiving core. He's a must-have to bring back.
1: I can't argue with any of those choices. Uh, Maybe on the offensive line, Philip Norman is a huge get for them. Uh, Nick Usher, I'm curious to see if they're really going to stay with him. The other one that is on this list that I think is moving on, and that's Lucky Whitehead, don't see him as being a lion in the future, namely because they just seem to move away from him in their scheme. And if that's the case, then that probably means you're moving on. Lucky Whitehead is
0: a bit of an enigma. It almost seems like the lions weren't a hundred percent sure what to do with him this season. He had a, a great first year with the lions in 2021, a decent year in 2022, and then underutilized this year. He's, a guy that can be very dynamic on returns and as a deep threat in the receiving core, but seemed to be a bit of the odd mm-hmm. man out. I, I agree with you on that one. I don't know where the future is for Lucky Whitehead. There were some rumblings throughout the season with some of the social media posts he made as well, that maybe things weren't fully working out there. It might be an opportunity for him elsewhere in the league, but, It would not come as a surprise if he's not back with the BC Lions.
1: Alexander Hollins, if they can sign him back, they've got depth at the wide receiver. I don't see them needing Lucky Whitehead per se, but if they find it within their their desire, then they will make an effort. One of the things that once the BC Lions coaching staff was reestablished for this upcoming season, Rick Campbell immediately said, "Now we've got to get the players that we want back on this lineup." The lions on defense at least at the beginning of the season were lights out. Mike Jones, Marcus Sales, Jalen Edwards, Cooper all could be real significant pieces of that puzzle. It's kind of tough to say no to anyone In the free agent market from BC, you kind of think that uh, if they're good enough to go 12 and 6, they probably want to keep almost all of these people.
0: It's a good problem to have, I guess, in in having that much talent and that much depth. If I was the general manager, I'm kind of keying on guys that I would like to see back as my top priorities, not dismissing any of the other ones. But we know there's this window right now and early in 2024 of getting some guys locked up. The rest of it is going to be doing your best pitch before that negotiation window opens up and hoping that these guys will come back to you after they've shopped themselves around a little bit. So,
1: Well, we talked last week about the Thai Cats, for instance, and Brandon Revenberg, how important he would be. Well, now he's signed a two-year extension with the team. You can tell that teams are trying to get the key people signed, going to Calgary. Now, we flipped this... Uh, the standings, uh, 12 and 6, now we're down to 6 and 12. But the Stampeders made the playoffs. Injuries crushed this team from the start of the season, especially at receiver. When you look at their available free agents, uh, stick out to me immediately, are Kadim Carey, Peyton Logan, and Dedrick Mills, their entire running back core. Yeah, on, on
0: my list I had, they must re-sign Kadeem Carey or Peyton Logan or Dedrick Mills. I don't know how possible it's going to be to get all three of those guys back in the lineup. It's going to come down to whether or not they feel Kadim Carey is healthy and productive enough to come back or if they look at one of these other options. This would be a very tough decision and I don't know which way I would I would lean because all of them showed some flashes of fantastic football in the action they saw and it was split reasonably evenly between these three guys
1: the defense it's just a who's who of talent Uh, Brandon Dozer Shaquille Richardson Titus Wall all of these defensive backs need to be re-upped linebacking core you got Micah Alway defensive line this is (laughs) really huge because you got Mike Rose on that list Derek Wigan, Mike Moore Julian Hauser all of these guys have to come back. James Voders has already re-signed.
0: I really focus on this defensive line as well. And Wiggenhauser and and Rose were the three must-haves for, for me if I'm the Calgary Stampeders. It's a, a real strong core of a defensive line that you can build from there. On, on offense, I've got Ryan Sevier as well as that offensive lineman that is the must-have. Offensive lines are are so tough to build consistency and, and you need to have confidence in the guys that you sign. And, and he's one that I think brings a lot of ability to anchor that offensive line.
1: Well, how do you move from Micah Awe? I mean, what did he do wrong for that team? He set a tackling record for the club. He did everything that was asked of him. And he made a great combination in that linebacking core with Cam Judge. If you get those anchors... In the defense, you can start looking at what you want to do on offense. John Huffnagel has been always a type of guy that doesn't sit quietly when it comes to free agency. He loves to get things taken care of early. I would be very surprised if we don't hear by the middle of January that most of these players are signed. Edmonton, a team that missed the playoffs again with a 4-14 and record. They're solid at quarterback. Kyron Moore is probably the most significant receiver. Trey Ford in the backfield and they need a strong offensive line, there could be a free agent run by the Elks to get that done. I
0: had Boyko on my list as, as one that needs to come back. Interestingly, the Elks have one of the lowest number of free agents this year looking at their at their roster. There are some, some stalwarts on defense as well. A.C. Leonard and Luchez Pirafoy are two names that come to mind that really were standouts on a team that had some struggles this year as far as t- players that are going to be free agents. Sam Atiapong as well on that defensive line. So there are a few pieces there that, that are key. The receiving core, some of them would be would be nice to have for the right price, but I don't know if that's something that that the Elks need to be focused on.
1: Ed Ganey had an injury-filled season. He's a captain out there and he's the type of guy that knows how to align people. Aaron Grimes would be the other one in my book. Lucius Pirafoya, obviously. You've got to re-sign those people. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the team that wound up losing their last seven straight to fall out of the playoff race, have a very interesting arrangement in terms of how free agency is going to play out for them. Their entire quarterback Crew was up for free agency. Now, Antonio Pipkin, who you mentioned last week, had a perfect season passing, is the only one that they have re-signed. Does that mean that Trevor Harris is their fide number one going into 2024? But if you don't sign Jake Doligal or Mason Fine, what are you left with?
0: You're left with question marks, and you're also left with, once again, a quarterback in Trevor Harris who had a pretty serious injury in 2023 and what's he bringing back? A perfect scenario for me for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders would be Jake Dolagala as the other quarterback of note. Weighing the options between him and Mason Fine, I liked what I saw from Dolagala a little bit more. If they go the other direction, I can't necessarily see a fault in that. It should be pretty key to bring at least one of those two back. Other than that, my focus for the Rough Riders is defense, defense, defense. Larry Dean on that linebacking core, and then the defensive line with Anthony Lanier II, Micah Johnson, and Pete Robertson. Those are the parts of that defense that should be the core and should be the priority for the Rough Riders. You've got a defensive-minded head coach in Corey Mace. You know he's going to be bringing some people in from Toronto that he's comfortable with as well but these guys are the soul of that Rough Riders defense right now.
1: Does Mace bring in an all-star off that Toronto linebacking core? What about Derek Moncrief, Micah Tights? Two guys that have been really solid for this team. Defensive backs, I think they are pretty much going to turn their defensive backfield over. I don't see much in the way of this coming back. They will sign a couple players for sure. Nelson Lacombe, I would be thinking he would. Tremaine Washington, probably the others. Out of C.J. Rivas or Amari Henderson, probably they'd be interested in one of the two, but they are signing, as we speak, more defensive backs. And as they do that, I would think that they're trying to turn that core over because they got lit up last year. Pretty confident
0: to say that Nick Marshall is not going to be back
1: Mario Alford, kick returner. Braden Lennius, who's looking at the NFL right now. He's in that all-encompassing Arizona Cardinal tryout camp with a bunch of other CFLers. Sean Bain, I guess, would be the other receiver that you really need to look at. And then on offensive line, uh, they've been maligned, but they're not that far away. Philip Blake, again, injuries. Logan Ferland, Evan Johnson, Colin Kelly, or Eric Lofton. I think you have to bring them all back because another year together, they're just going to get that much better.
0: And this is what we spoke of a little bit with the offensive lines as you want to build that continuity. You're going to have some change, some turnover. Guys will age out. Guys will move on for more money. But essentially, of a, of a core of seven offensive linemen, you need to bring back four to five of them every year to really have a successful pass protection, and, and really let them grow as a group. This was something that the Rough Riders were in dire need of a couple of years ago. The offensive line really struggled. We're seeing, as they've matured and, and worked together, a little bit more consistency and another year or two, and, and they could develop into a really strong unit.
1: Let's look at the teams that have been playing in the Grey Cup the last couple of years. Winnipeg, and what have they done? They've always kept their core together, and they've kept a lot of players on that football team. Continuity, huge. Toronto Argonauts. They went out and heavily signed in free agency, but they kept everybody together. And they went through three East Finals, one Grey Cup victory. And then the Montreal Alouettes, same deal, where they kept that core together. They're signing players again to keep them together for another two to three years. If you want to build a team, you have to have your components together going forward, because if you're doing what Ottawa's had to go through or Saskatchewan may go through, you tend to wind up going backwards before you go forwards.
0: Turning to the four-time Grey Cup finalist Winnipeg Blue Bombers, they have some aging veterans that may be on their way out. They've got a all-star running back who has voiced his opinion of looking at some NFL options as well. If you're that Canadian mafia in Winnipeg, who are you targeting to make sure you're bringing back?
1: If I go on the offensive side of the ball, I think I've said goodbye to Drew Brown. He wants to be a starter. Brady Oliveira, if he's not signing in the NFL, he's got to be a priority one for this Winnipeg team. In terms of receiving core, Rashid Bailey, if they can hang on to him. Dalton Schoen, does he want to stay there? Does he want to make money? Greg McRae, Janarian Grant, kick returner extraordinaire. Offensive line, Stanley Bryant could be an age thing. Jamarcus Hardrick could be an age thing. Patrick Newfeld getting to be an age thing. Chris Kalinkowski, Jeff Gray. Those are two guys that you got to hang on to. And of course, they've already signed up Willie Jefferson. But what do you do with Jackson Jeffcoat? He's in the linebacking core. They're not going to get hurt too, too bad. Defensive backs. This is where I'm curious as to see what the Blue Bombers make a priority. Because Brandon Alexander is going to be coming available. Dietrich Nichols is available. Demario Houston. Nick Hallett. You can just all all in Darby. You can go all the way through that defensive backfield, and basically they could be decimated if the bombers don't pony up something.
0: It's a real math equation for the bombers at this point because you have guys like Stanley Bryant, Jamarcus Hardrick, Patrick Newfeld, who are longtime veterans and really at the top of the pay scale for their positions. Whereas you've got Dalton Schoen, who has been a dynamic receiver the last two years, is on an entry-level contract. My priority of those names mentioned would be Dalton Schoen. I think he's a guy that is due a raise, but to get him what he deserves to be paid, you're probably looking at one or two of those offensive linemen maybe on their way out. Chris Kolankowski is the key re-sign for that offensive line right now. As much as you would like to have maybe two of the Hardrick, Bryant, Newfeld guys back. I don't think all three of them are realistic. The defensive backs, you you threw some great names out there. My priority of that of that group is Diedrich Nichols. He's a guy that is a shutdown corner. You don't see him make a lot of plays because the other team respects him too much that they don't throw the ball his way. Similar to Delvin Bro in Hamilton. A couple of seasons ago, a, a guy that was one of the defensive, one of the best defensive backs in the league, and you hardly hear his name on game day. Demario Houston led the league in interceptions, but he's a high-risk, high-reward type of defensive back. When he gets the interception, great. When he doesn't, it's going for a lot of yards behind him,
1: or a Grey Cup-winning touchdown. <laughs>
0: exactly, or a Grey Cup-winning touchdown. So. Nichols and and Hallett are probably the two that I would really focus on on that defensive back. Brandon Alexander, another one that would be a nice luxury to have. Other than that, I can see some turnover on that defensive back group. Um, and then on special teams, Denary and Grant would be a great one to have back with what he brings in the return game. And I also have kicker Sergio Castillo. Given what they went through with Mark Leggio. Castillo was great. His his previous go-around with the Bombers this past year in 2023, he really brought some stability back to that kicking game.
1: If you're Winnipeg and you've signed Willie Jefferson to a, a contract extension, if you're not signing Jackson Jeffcoat, I don't see why you signed Willie Jefferson. You need both to make that defensive line work. For listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbeat and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching.
0: Gosh. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League Player and Game Statistics, for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.